Welcome to Healthcare Du Jour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare Du Jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now, here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Bronwyn Spira, CEO and co-founder at Force Therapeutics. Bronwyn, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. So what I always like to do before getting into the main part of the discussion is to give my guests a chance to provide more of an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So Bronwyn, the floor is yours. Super, thanks so much. So um, as you mentioned, I'm Bronwyn Spira, founder and CEO of Force Therapeutics. Um, Prior to starting FORCE, I was a clinician for a long time, uh, over 20 years. Um, and I think about that as my past life. But, um, you know, I'd been treating patients for a long time in multiple different settings and uh, across the board, um, you know, just kind of really coming to understand deeply the challenges that my patients had um, with recovery after injury or surgery and Many of the issues um, were related to access to the right providers and the right health information that I knew would empower them to manage their care. And so some of those barriers were physical, educational, language, uh, psychosocial, economic. Um, But the point being that all of these barriers really had an impact on the patient's outcomes um, you know, functional outcomes, quality of life. And um, I just saw um, an opportunity to help solve them just given the, um, you know, the ubiquity of smartphones and access to technology um, and patients were banking online and booking travel online. And I just th- thought that there was a really good opportunity to uh, use technology in a positive way to impact health outcomes. And so I guess before diving into specifically what opportunity you saw and how you're building on that, I'm just kind of curious, what first got you into healthcare? That's a great question. I I was a dancer growing up. I uh, did ballet when I was younger and so was very kind of not only um, engaged and curious about the biomechanics of the body, but also aware and around um people who were suffering with a lot of musculoskeletal injuries and felt that um, I wanted a deeper understanding. I wanted to know how they happened, how to solve them, how to fix them. Um, and so I started my um, you know, uh, education in uh, science and physical therapy. It, that's a very a very different approach into into it. And you know, kind of, you know, as you just said, kind of taking physical therapy, and I'm assuming that has now kind of informed, you know, the work that you're doing and, you know, the direction that you've ended up going in. Very much so. I think, you know, uh, musculoskeletal um, issues impact 60% of the population. I don't think anybody in your audience or you doesn't know somebody who, um, cannot do their sport or their uh, work or um, live their life the way they want to as a result of some kind of back pain, knee pain, shoulder pain. And um, it's really very uh, wide reaching and it has an impact on all aspects of life. 
you know. And so when you have a musculoskeletal injury, it leads to other comorbidities like diabetes and high BMI and things that then have a, you know, a, a kind of a ripple effect um, on health. Um, but so many of them really, really start with that kind of musculoskeletal issue. And so getting to the root cause of the problem, I think, um, can have a big impact on patients' lives. So how has kind of the, the growth and expanded use of technology helped get to that root cause of the, the issues that you were just mentioning? So I think, you know, back to my original point around access, so patients have a lot of issues with access. So either they can't get to the right provider or in the case of physical therapy, um, you know, it's often recommended they come two or three times a week. They have to leave their job. They have to find transportation, leave childcare. So it becomes very complicated and difficult, um, not to mention the high co-pays. And so, um, you know, what I found was that my patients just wouldn't come and then they wouldn't get better. Um, and, you know, I know as their provider, as somebody who is trained in the medical profession, what is ailing them and what they need to do to get better. And because they couldn't access me, they couldn't access that information. Um, and so the concept behind forced therapeutics was if a patient could access the right information from a trusted source that knew their specific condition, uh, they would be able to improve their outcomes. Um, and I, I think there's a really important point in there, which is, you know, we always think about uh, provider-driven care. Um, it shouldn't be uh, just generic care out of a box or Dr. Google or YouTube videos that they've kind of searched online. It really needs to be specific to the patient. Um, and so their care team, their provider, their surgeon, their physical therapist, their physiatrist, their, you know, um, their treating care team is really the best source of that information. So kind of, as you said, with the, the care team being the best source of the information, you know, what are effective means that you've seen of being able to convey that information and also kind of, I think it's not even just implicitly, but explicitly increase access through the use of technology? So a couple things. I mean, for what we use for our patients is really um, very um, easy to understand uh, video-based education. Um, so instead of, you know, what, you, what patients used to get, let's say they were going to um, get a joint replaced, um, let's say a knee replacement, they'd go into their doctor's office, they'd get a huge packet of information that was a thousand pages long, and they'd have to go home and read all of that, understand all the, you know, <laughs> um, medical ease in there, um, and then, um, you know, kind of understand what that meant for them. Um, and what we've developed is these bite-sized videos that are um, targeted um, to any education level, um, easy to understand with visuals and voiceovers in, in multiple languages um, that are really designed to help 
patients understand exactly what they need to do and when they need to do it. I mean, I think that's the other piece of it, right, is you can only absorb so much information at one time. Um, and so we think about the right information in the right format delivered to that patient at the right time. So our patients typically get a protocolized video plan, but they'll only get each segment when it's relevant to them. Um, preoperatively, you know, you're not going to get information about running a marathon, but, you know, six months out, you may need that information. So that's really where um, we think about how adults learn. So we have a learning uh, specialist um, who helps develop our content. And then, you know, what's the best format? Um, how do we language it? How is it perceived? Um, and, you know, even for our classes, we do a teach back so that not only do we educate the patients, but we then make sure that they actually understood what it was that we were expecting of them. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point. So kind of how does that teach back process operate? So we have a pretty sophisticated learning and uh, development program within the FORCE platform that patients receive. Um, and based upon the provider's prescription, um, they get delivered a bite-sized uh, information video. Um, and let's say you're about to have knee surgery, going back to our prior example, you may need to know exactly how to manage the incision because your knee's going to be cut open and you're going to get home and you're going to have this big old wound there. And so you might need to know what to do to prepare for that. So we will educate you on that and then ask you, well, what did you learn? How would you, you know, manage the dressing, you know, and those kind of things. So we really try to make sure not only that we're delivering the right information, but that it's been ingested and, you know, internalized by the patient so that they are best able to take care of themselves. Yeah. And that sounds like it's you know, a step that would be missing in a lot of different scenarios, whether you're talking about remote engagement or even in-person engagement, because it's, you know, kind of as you're talking about it, you know, it's one thing to be able to convey the information outwards, but then to, you know, confirm that not only has it been received, but actually understood, that seems, sounds like it's, you know, arguably a gap that had been existing for a while, because I feel like I don't usually hear, uh, you know, that description of that, you know, that type of engagement. And engagement is really the key here. And I think it's such an overused word in healthcare, but traditionally, um, health systems would have patients come in and sit through two or three hours of what they called a joint class before they had a surgery or a spine class. And that may or may not have gone away in the organizations we work with. But the point is that, you know, even when a patient leaves that session, they probably retaining maybe 15%, right? So we need to be you know, reinforcing that information and then making sure that, A, they have a place to come back to. I think that's one of the big things about technology is that, you know, it lives in our system and they can access it 24-7 and their care partner can access it 24-7. So maybe only they could come in, but their carer or their partner or their spouse who's taking care of them when they get home couldn't come to that class. They can actually access all of that information and be a support structure when that patient gets home. So I think, you know, that's really the value of having a technology that supports what your provider is saying. Um, and it's important that there's consistency there because what you don't want to create is when your patients are hearing one thing, 
um, and then reading another thing from your program. And that's why we work very, very closely with our providers to make sure that what they want the patients to know is exactly what's captured in our system. Yeah, no, the consistency is always a, you know, very important. Because as you said, if you if you find a disconnect, that's what's going to stick out. And most likely that's what you'll end up remembering. And or even if you don't remember it, it could erode the trust and the accuracy of the information that you're receiving. Yeah, and causes disengagement. So then the, the patient's confused and they're like, well, I'm throwing my hands up here. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So I'm going to do nothing. And that's really the, the danger, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, as you said, if you get someone to dis, who becomes disengaged, then you know, the ability to or the likelihood of any information being retained then just keeps falling even more dramatically. Absolutely. So kind of thinking about the, the engagement, you know, as you're like, get, you know, providing all these resources and education and kind of feedback loops, you know, what else have you found effective to drive the patient to do or to, or what other kind of means are there to increase the level of engagement? It's a great question. And it's a difficult answer because it's not one thing, it's a thousand things. Um, and we, um, you know, first started in 2010. And so over the past 12 years, we study every, every interaction of our patients with the system. And we know exactly when they drop off and exactly when they're highly engaged. And so we actually use that information, that data to continue to iterate on what drives patient engagement. Um, and just some examples for you, for example, everything that is presented to the patient is with the face and the voice of the actual care team. And that is very encouraging for patients if you know that the person who you saw in the clinic is also the person that's delivering your care instructions. Uh, you know that, that that's something you should trust. Um, I think the, the video-based um, element is very important because patients can't always absorb tons and tons of words on the page. Um, and, you know, just being able to um, access this care anytime um, and engage others to help them is also, those are just some key elements, but there are multiple things you know, that we continue to improve on. And, you know, it's it's never done. <laughs> we keep improving, we keep iterating. And that's, you know, innovative technology. Um, you know, that's kind of the pressure we place on ourselves to think, but could we be better, you know? And so that's kind of the fun part of developing um, health tech. Yeah, and kind of, as you said, the, the iterative process, you know, should be expected because, you know, health clearly is not static, nor is human behavior static. So, you know, why shouldn't the tools that are interacting with individuals also evolve? Absolutely. And I've been in healthcare for now, I think, almost over just over 30 years. I've never seen a period where the change has been so drastic and so quick, especially healthcare traditionally is such a slow moving behemoth, right? And I'd say during and since the pandemic, there is so much change going on in regulation, in, um, you know, even reimbursement and in attitudes um, that I think, you know, it's really spurring on this new digital age. Um, and I really do think it's going to change the way we deliver healthcare and the way uh, we spend money on healthcare. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you that there's been, you, know, you could kind of see the wave building, but then the pandemic just 
yeah, kind of force it to crash finally instead of continuing to just be held off. Um, mm-hmm. But for those those of you just joining, I'm talking with Bronwyn Spira of Force Therapeutics and talking about you know, engagement and provision of information and education and really driving understanding and kind of the next piece of it that I'm wondering about is you know we're you know we've been, as I said we've been talking about that kind of engagement, but what about you know the ability to collect information from patients and have patients kind of reporting on information. You know, how has that changed or how is the acceptance of that information um, kind of changed as it's become more readily available? Yeah, I think it's really become critical because for the first time, I think providers can see exactly what is going on with their patients um, and make that um, transparency actionable. Um, and so, whereas in a, you know, go back to my days in the clinic where we would collect everything on paper and we'd ask patients these questionnaires while they were sitting in the waiting room and then, you know, we'd score the forms and figure out what that meant and try and figure out what the benchmark was. Now everything can be done electronically. Um, and so, you know, maybe take a step back and just say, what are these forms that we use? They call patient reported outcome measures. And I think you've spoken about them on your podcast before, but they really are validated questionnaires that patients fill out um, and that are scored according to a specific algorithm that's been uh, validated in research. And the responses when scored give the providers an indication of a patient's overall level of function or their quality of life against an established benchmark. So it's very helpful because it can be, um, you know, when I mentioned before that it can be actionable if you see that a patient is not progressing according to that benchmark or they're not um, achieving what's called a minimal clinical uh, change, um, then you can intervene and you can change the outcome. But if you only find that out six months later, there's very little you can do about it. So, you know, speaking again about technology, where it's helpful is these um, forms or these scores are now presented to providers and they can action on those results in real time. Um, So they can see them, they can measure them against a benchmark, and they can do something about it. So not only does that help individual patients, but it helps inform, you know, I always think about, um, you know, data-driven care. um, And and so this really helps uh, providers and organizations um, think about how to, you know, develop um, their evidence-based care management protocols. It kind of, as you just mentioned, being able to get the data more frequently than, say, every six months or whatever the the visit frequency would have been in the past. You know, now that it can be collected through a technology intervention, is there a preferred cadence to that, or you know, or is there something where you could get too frequent and you don't, you're not able to capture variations? That's a great question. So. You know, we we always look at Medicare to set the standards. So they have kind of recommended intervals where you can collect, where you should collect outcomes. And obviously that makes it easy to compare to a benchmark. So typically it's preoperatively and then, you know, six, 12, six weeks post-op, 
12 weeks post-op, six, you know, six months, one year, two years, five years. And when you get that data collected at scale, then you can really understand how your um, protocols are performing and how patients are responding to your care. Um, but you're right, it can be an overwhelming thing for patients. And what we've seen um, from our data is that if the patients get too many forms too often we see a drop off in engagement. And so, you know, sticking with the theme of data-driven care design, you know, we can go back to our provider organizations and make a recommendation and say, we know you want to collect all these six forms at week three, but our recommendation is that you will see a disengaged patient. So we recommend three forms, this many um, this many questions and not to have multiple conflicting um, technologies correct, collecting that information. Um, so you're right, there is this kind of sweet spot that we try to work within so that we don't overwhelm patients, but we get the data we need. Yeah, and maybe actually kind of taking a step back to help level set, you know, like what is the type of information that's collected through that validated PROM process? So there's a couple of different kind of form types of forms. Um, for the musculoskeletal population, we use uh, something called functional outcome forms. Um, and so those forms might ask a patient, do you have pain going up and down stairs? Uh, can you pivot on your affected leg? Uh, is it difficult to get up out of the um, out of the a chair? Um, do you have pain when you're turning in bed? And so there's a, you know, a list of questions and then the patients give their responses and then we can score where they sit on a functional um, scale. Um, and then there's quality of life forms. So it's not only important to understand how the patient's functioning, it's important to understand how that function impacts their quality of life. Because if somebody just wants to sit and watch TV, they could be at a lower functional level and it doesn't change anything for them. But you have an athlete and they really want to be performing at that high functional level. So I think you always have to look at those two things in connection. And actually, you know, so we always, you know, most of our procedures, we have a quality of life measure and a functional level, uh, you know, measure. And then the other big thing is obviously patient satisfaction because that ties everything together because you have to understand, well, is this, you know, this patient underwent surgery, are they happy with the outcome? And that's really a lot of, um, you know, a lot goes into that, but it's really important to understand patient satisfaction as well. Yeah, it seems like you're making a very key point there, which is it's not just about, you know, the impact on the change, but, you know, what was the individual expecting out of, you um, the outcome or or not out of the outcome, but what type of outcome were they expecting and what were they expecting the impact of the intervention to be? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we um, have done a lot of research on this topic exactly and found that if patients are engaged in understanding expectations uh, or we understand the expectations, um, there is a very strong correlation to their patient satisfaction after surgery. And so we do a lot of what's called shared decision-making, which is, do you understand that this is, you know, what to expect when you're going through this procedure and what are your goals and are these goals measurable and are they, um, you know, 
rational, you know, so we do a lot of work with, with the patients through this, through the platform, but to really help them understand what's, you know, what to expect. And, and, you know, we help them measure that and um, look back and say, yes, I did achieve my goal or it was unrealistic. Um, so it's an important piece. And so I guess, does that mean that there was misalignment between the providers and the patients in terms of where they thought the outcome would go? Yeah, exactly. I think it's what it is, is encouraging the patient to have that conversation, you know, because if their expectation is I'm going to walk out of the operating room and be able to compete in a marathon, that is not a realistic expectation. But if we know that they have that expectation, we can intervene and say, hey, listen, this is kind of the expectation. This is when you should be able to do that. And here's what, what patients like you have experienced with this procedure. And then the patient can say, okay, I'm not doing that then, you know, and that's that's shared decision-making. Um, so it's also helps patients be, um, you know, active in their contribution to their recovery. So for example, you know, talking to them about optimizing their BMI before a surgery, um, stopping smoking, stopping certain drug use, because all of those things impact the outcome. Um, but they may not know that going in. And so really helping them understand that and having that education um, is very, very important. Yeah, no, it's kind of, as you're saying, cre creating and to some degree forcing that inflection point because it you've gathered and been able to assess data around it, um, it certainly kind of helps to tease something out that maybe someone would be reluctant to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah, and kind of when you when those conversations or those discussions end up, end up happening, I mean, I don't know if you have any data around it, but were there instances where what, either the patient or the clinician was more optimistic about what would happen or what the outcome would be? Um, I don't actually have data on that. I'm sure there are. Um, I imagine every scenario has happened. Um, but we certainly do know that setting expectations is directly correlated with patient experience. And so the adjustment in expectations, I think I don't fully understand, but um, have just encouraging patients and providers to have that conversation, whether it's in a, um, you know, a digital environment or in person um, is incredibly important um, for outcomes and even pain management. You know, we've seen a correlation between expectations and pain post-surgery. If a patient knows that they're going to have pain day two, it's almost not as bad for them because they're not anxious about it. So you don't increase that pain anxiety cycle. And they're like, yeah, my doctor told me or the program told me that I was going to be in more pain today because the intraoperative pain medication ran out and I'm more active and it makes sense to me. So I'm okay with this level of pain. And by the way, I know that by the end of this week, my pain scale is going to come down because my doctor told me that. So it's really, you know, thinking through all of those conversations and using the data that we have to inform the providers and we build it into the platform, what conversations they should be having so that they can improve their patient satisfaction and those outcomes. 
Yeah, no, I think that that message of you know the power of communication and engagement is you know really important. And I think unfortunately gonna to have to be the great thought to leave people on because believe it or not, we're already out of time. I want to thank my guest Bronwyn Spira for a great conversation today. Thanks, Matt. It was so much fun. It, and thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag H-C-D-E-J-U-R-E. I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time. <laughs>